Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Unfit to Print. I'm your host, Amber Athey. I'm the Washington editor for The Spectator and a senior fellow with the Steamboat Institute. Before we get started, make sure that you guys subscribe to the Daily Caller's YouTube channel and hit that notification bell. And also search for the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Gina Carano, a former MMA fighter and until recently one of the stars of Disney's The Mandalorian, has been fired by Lucasfilm over a series of what the company called abhorrent and unacceptable social media posts. Now, if you guys watch The Mandalorian, you know that this is a series set in the Star Wars universe and Gina Carano plays a character named Cara Dune, who is a former Imperial shock trooper. Um, Cara Dune's character is basically just a total badass. And usually in the Star Wars series, you kind of get these thin waifs who are supposed to somehow be able to beat guys in hand-to-hand combat or in lightsaber battles. And in this case, because of Gina Carano's real-life fighting history, she totally looks like she could kick a guy's ass. And her character was very, very cool. So that is obviously very disappointing. And one other thing that was really refreshing about Gina Carano and the fact that she was in this mainstream television series is that she did not shy away from speaking her mind on social media. She has never identified herself outright as a conservative. However, she has a lot of posts questioning things like the uh, stringent lockdowns uh, from coronavirus, as well as the idea of double or triple masking. She makes fun of that a lot and really just talks about how there are so many cases in today's society where people get canceled or when their political opinions give people a reason to hate them. So when you look into why she was actually fired and what these social media posts were, the, uh, apparently what was the final straw for Lucasfilm was a post in which uh, Gina Carano compared today's political incivility to the conditions that led to the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. The uh, quote from her post, which I believe was posted on her Instagram story, was, quote, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Now, I tend to think that comparisons to the Holocaust are pretty much always a bad idea. They almost always, if you're on the right, they almost always get you in trouble and um, are usually hyperbolic on both sides when people on the right or the left make comparisons to the Holocaust they usually um, are pretty hyperbolic. However, Carano's point still stands because it is just a historical fact that genocides and mass violence start with hating your neighbor. And it is a fact that in Nazi Germany, they got ordinary civilians to hate Jewish people and beat them in the streets so that it was a lot easier when they went to uh, take the Jewish people to the concentration camps. But This whole debate over whether or not this specific tweet was acceptable, I think kind of misses the point because ultimately she wasn't fired because of this one tweet. She was fired because she has been running afoul of the woke mob for quite some time. And like I said before, has been very open about her political opinions and refuses to stay in line with the progressive orthodoxy that is so rampant in Hollywood. This was clearly just an excuse by Lucasfilm to get rid of someone that they consider to be a political headache. Uh, At one time, trans activists tried to bully Gina Carano into putting her pronouns in her bio, and she actually responded by putting beep boop bop in her Twitter bio 
as a way of basically putting the middle finger up to people who uh, try to bully other people into accepting their political opinions and abiding by all of this leftist orthodoxy. So obviously Lucasfilm wanted to get rid of her for a long time. They used this as an excuse. And we know this for sure because her fellow co-star, Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian, has previously made Holocaust comparisons on his Twitter account. Like I said, this is only a problem if you're on the right. If you're on the left, you can you know, compare Republicans, Trump, all these people to Hitler. But if you're on the right and you point out that all of this leftist cancel culture and trying to silence people and bully people into submission is similar to Nazism, then all of a sudden it's a problem. So in 2018, Pedro Pascal tweeted a photo. It was actually a meme of a photo of uh, kids in concentration camps and then a photo of what he claimed to be children in cages at the southern border. Never mind the fact, of course, that the cages were built under the Obama administration. Who built the cages, Joe? Pedro Pascal basically was using this as a way to attack the Trump administration. Um, obviously, this is a ridiculous comparison. Children who are being detained at the southern border have broken the law and are simply being held until their court dates. They are not being genocided or starved or forced to work in labor camps. Beyond that, the photo that Pedro Pascal had in this meme turned out it wasn't actually a photo of children at the southern border. It was a photo of Palestinian children uh, who were waiting to be fed at a soup kitchen. But this post was not a problem for Lucasfilm because, again, Pedro Pascal was using it to attack the right people. He was using it to attack the Trump administration. And even though the photo was not what he purported it to be, the case of pointing out the starving Palestinian children would still be in line with the woke mob that loves to go after Israel. So he was in the clear on both counts there. Gina Carano, however, decided to use this comparison to go after political incivility coming from the left, and boom, she's fired. So this is all just a, a big excuse to get rid of her because she was not in line with all of these other leftist actors in Hollywood. You know, the left can call people Nazis all day long, if the right does it, then all of a sudden you have to get rid of this person. So Gina Carano is just the latest victim of the left's cancel culture and really proof that you really don't have to do anything that's bad, that's really bad to get fired, right? Simply holding these opinions is enough for the left to want to cancel you. And she never, again, never even identified as a conservative, has never said she's a conservative, has, has never said that she votes Republican. She merely pointed out that it's a bad thing to hate people who have different political views than you. And that was enough for them to try to cancel her. It has become quite evident over the past couple of years, and this is just the latest example, that those on the left and those in Hollywood don't think it's enough to just uh, get rid of people who are actually doing bad stuff. They want to get rid of anyone who even holds a differing political opinion from them. It is really interesting that they basically prove Gina Carano's point about hating uh, people that you disagree with and trying to marginalize them when they turned around and fired her for having that opinion. <laughs> We are about a month into the Biden administration, and the White House has had its first major personnel shakeup. Former Deputy Press Secretary T.J. Duckla was forced to resign from the administration over a scandal involving his relationship 
with Axios political reporter Alexi McCammond. According to a glowing profile in People magazine, McCammond and Ducklow started dating in November and are now engaged. McCammond, who was previously covering the Biden administration and the Biden campaign, asked to be moved off of that beat and be reassigned elsewhere when her relationship with Ducklow became official, according to People magazine. However, there were still several cases of stories after that that McCammond wrote that would have been considered a conflict of interest when she was writing about things related to Biden or Kamala Harris, and even going on TV in her contributor gig at MSNBC and speaking awfully glowingly about the Biden administration. Now, this is a problem and their personal lives matter because it is journalistically unethical and a major conflict of interest to be having a romantic relationship with someone who is running communications for the individual that you are supposed to be objectively and unbiasedly reporting on. This is uh, something that has always been considered journalistically unethical, sleeping with a source, and has even led to indictments in the past, not because it's illegal to, to do this, but it often leads to major problems, like in the case of where a DOJ official, I think it was a DOJ official, was sleeping with a New York Times reporter and then started feeding her these classified documents, and he ended up being indicted for that. So it's never a good idea to get involved in these types of situations. Um, if the timeline is to believe, you know, the one put out by people, then McCammon apparently tried to do the right thing by being moved off the beat, but didn't do a very good job at it. However, I suspect, based on the anger that Ducklow demonstrated at this story potentially getting out there, that their relationship probably started much sooner. And here's what I'm talking about. Politico, in a playbook um, newsletter, the day after this People profile came out, claimed that they had been working on this story for a long time, but that they had received pushback from the Biden administration and ultimately, I guess, dropped the story. Um, that was only part of the truth. According to reporting in Vanity Fair, the Politico reporter who was working this, his name Tara Palmieri, received a very angry phone call from TJ Ducklow, who threatened her, telling her that he was going to destroy her if she published information about his relationship with McCammond, and also accused her of being jealous of their relationship and jealous of the fact that a, another, another unnamed guy apparently wanted to sleep with McCammond, but not with Palmieri. So all of this weird sexual stuff, pillow talk being brought into a Biden communication official's conversation with a reporter about his own inappropriate relationship. So everything about this is a disaster, right? Very disturbing and gross that he would attack the reporter in this way for asking what I think were very valid questions about a potentially unethical situation. Joe Biden previously promised, by the way, that if any of his staffers talked down to their colleagues or to reporters or treated them with disrespect, that they would be fired immediately. And right before this Vanity Fair story dropped about Ducklow's behavior, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was tweeting about how, quote, compassion and kindness is back in the Biden White House. Now, after this went public, the Biden administration announced that Ducklow would be suspended one week without pay and that he would no longer be working with Politico reporters upon his return to his post. However, first of all, Biden said this would be a fireable offense, so it seems like he would have been canned immediately if they were upholding their standards. 
But also, according to Vanity Fair's reporting, Politico actually called the White House the day after Ducklow uh, launched this verbal attack on Tara Palmieri, and they were on a call with, among other people, Jen Psaki. And at the time, these White House communications officials acknowledged that Ducklow's behavior was inappropriate and promised that he would apologize to the reporter in question. So they were perfectly happy to cover this up and keep it all behind the scenes with a nice little apology. It wasn't until this all went public and they started receiving backlash from other members of the media that the Biden administration decided they had to live up to the standards that their own president had set publicly. And ultimately, Ducklow resigned from his position and is no longer working in the White House. But there should be more attention paid to the fact that the White House tried to cover this up for basically a full month and only took action when other reporters started talking about it. The Lincoln Project, a never-Trump outfit that claims to be promoted to advancing compassionate conservatism but really is just a front for Democrats, appears to be on its last legs after my friend Ryan Gierdusky at the American Conservative reported that one of their founding members, John Weaver, is apparently a sexual predator. Weaver had DM'd hundreds of young men and boys, including some allegedly as young as 14 years old, asking them about their sexual preferences, their private parts, and some other pretty disgusting things. Many of the young men involved in this scandal alleged that Weaver tried to hang potential internships or jobs over their heads in exchange for continuing this pillow talk or giving him actual sexual favors. The Lincoln Project initially tried to ignore this major scandal, despite the fact that it is objectively disgusting and sick, and they didn't talk about it until the New York Times ran its own investigation confirming Ryan's reporting. First, Weaver ran a statement coming out as gay, which is also known as the Kevin Spacey defense, because apparently if you make yourself a member of a marginalized group and act like you're the victim because you've had to be in the closet for so long, then all of your predatory behavior can just be swept under the rug. However, the hits kept coming, and the Lincoln Project eventually released a statement acknowledging what was going on, saying, quote, John Weaver led a secret life that was built on a foundation of deception at every level. We extend our deepest sympathies to those who were targeted by his deplorable and predatory behavior. We are disgusted and outraged that someone in a position of power and trust would use it for these means. Now, they claim that Weaver was uh, leading a secret life, which implies, of course, that they knew nothing about this. Several members of the Lincoln Project actually went on television claiming to not really know John Weaver, even though he was a founding member with them. George Conway, for example, went on television and claimed that he had only ever spoken to Weaver over the phone and that he really didn't know him very well at all. And they all claimed that they knew nothing about Weaver's behavior. This was all just a huge surprise to them. However, then more reporting came out indicating that reporters had actually been digging into these allegations as early as last summer and that founding members and other high-ranking officials in the Lincoln Project were made aware of the allegations against Weaver and chose to do nothing about it. This is when the exodus started because there are all these photos of the Lincoln Project founding members with John Weaver. There's that infamous photo of these four, you know, fat, bald dudes sitting together talking about how excited they are to do the Lincoln Project. And 
they are all founding members together. This excuse that they don't really know him doesn't make any sense. And then there's reporting that they all knew about it. So Jennifer Horn, who is a was a senior official in the Lincoln Project, resigned over the allegations and the organization's handling of them. However, the Lincoln Project then hit back and claimed she actually left because they had a dispute over compensation. What followed was uh, the continuation of the Lincoln Project's downward spiral, where clearly they were so desperate to spin out of these Weaver allegations that they made a series of very unfortunate mistakes on their Twitter account. And this one was by far the worst. They somehow obtained Jennifer Horn's Twitter DMs between reporters and other individuals and posted them publicly on their Twitter account. It's unclear how exactly they got these DMs. Jennifer Horn obviously didn't send them to, to them. So it seems like they must have hacked her account in order to get them and then post them. This is arguably illegal and they could face serious consequences for this. And at the time that they posted this, Rick Wilson even quote tweeted the screenshots of this woman's private DMs uh, talking about how, you know, Honest Abe hears everything basically boasting about the fact that they had been able to obtain these DMs illegally. And it kept going downhill from there. One of the founders, Steve Schmidt, resigned from the organization on Friday, and other senior advisors, including Kurt Bardella, stepped down as well. Uh, Tom Nichols decided to distance himself from the organization. And really, there's just a mass exodus of people leaving all because of this original report by Ryan Gerdusky about the allegations against John Weaver. As of Monday, the Lincoln Project has not tweeted in four days, and the donation page on their webpage is currently down. Could this be the end of the Lincoln Project? I hope so. Good riddance. The latest hit to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's reputation is here, and it is a doozy. According to multiple reports, a Andrew Cuomo aide admitted to underreporting nursing home deaths to avoid a potential federal investigation. Now, we know that one of Cuomo's worst decisions during the pandemic was to make it so that nursing homes were not allowed to refuse new residents or returning residents who had tested positive for COVID-19. Of course, this was a huge mistake because COVID-19 is most deadly among elderly populations, particularly those with pre-existing conditions, basically everyone who lives in a nursing home. So these became areas for the largest and deadliest spread of the virus. Now, in order to, I guess, try to cover up just how deadly and horrific this decision was, the Cuomo government was undercounting nursing home deaths. This was reported by the Daily Caller last spring and other outlets from conservative media followed. And what they found was that they were undercounting the nursing home deaths by saying that if a resident contracts COVID-19 in the nursing home, but then goes to the hospital and dies there, that doesn't count as a nursing home death. That's a hospital death, which is obviously ridiculous because most people who die from coronavirus are going to be transported to the hospital. And what's more important is where they contracted it. However, everyone else just ignored this report for, you know, almost a year because they all loved Cuomo's little press conferences and his time on CNN with his brother Chris holding uh, giant Q-tips and all of these other ridiculous antics that CNN should definitely have to answer for. 
Now we apparently have proof that they were undercounting the nursing home deaths on purpose to avoid scrutiny. Cuomo aide Melissa DeRosa, according to CNN, said during a call last week that the administration essentially, quote, froze because it wasn't sure what information it was going to turn over to the DOJ on nursing homes, and it didn't want that information to be used against it in any way. So apparently, they were not sure if they were going to send the full data on nursing home deaths to the Department of Justice because they didn't want political backlash or potentially even a federal investigation. Of course, all of the liberal media outlets are acting like this is a huge shock. They are blown away. They're writing all of these articles about how, oh, I guess Cuomo's uh, pandemic response wasn't as good as we thought it was. Yeah, no shit. We've been telling you guys for a year and have been reporting on it over and over again, and you all ignored it because apparently the mainstream media would be far happier to let people die rather than give any props at all to conservative media. And then back to the CNN question, this media outlet has to be held accountable for how it apparently, I I would suspect, at least somewhat knowingly, give a platform to the brother of one of its hosts, who is the governor of New York, and was overseeing this disastrous pandemic response And yet they had all of these various TV hits and interviews where they were laughing along with one another and talking about their mother and making jokes about their family when all of these poor elderly people were being decimated by Andrew Cuomo's decision to put these people back in nursing homes with COVID-19 and then undercount the deaths as a result. Everything about this should be perhaps the biggest political scandal of the year, and yet we are almost a full year after the initial reporting on this and the mainstream media is like oh well maybe he wasn't that good maybe this wasn't the best pandemic response and he shouldn't have been selling maps of new york with healthcare officials on it to make money maybe he shouldn't be writing a book about his job handling the pandemic yeah we know thank you i mean really these people are so gross. It really is gross when you think about it that they could have held this guy accountable, asked questions, followed up on the conservative media's reporting, and instead they turned a blind eye to all of it because the guy happens to have the same politics as them. Truly despicable. That's it for this episode of Unfit to Print. We will have another episode later in the week, most likely on impeachment. If you guys want to hear my take on Trump's second acquittal on Saturday, then let me know in the comments. Until then, thank you for watching. Please subscribe to the Daily Caller's YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, and also search for the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time.